Uh, anyway, it's good to see you guys this morning. My name is Kyle. I'm the pastor here. Grateful that you're here with us. If you're visiting today, thank you. Uh, extra special thanks to you. Um, if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to Exodus chapter 2. Exodus chapter 2. We'll dive into that here in a moment. Um, as you're turning there, I just want to do a quick commercial for Bring a Friend Day next week. Uh, next week, we're going to have uh, a big time together. We're going to have fish fry. Uh, there'll be some door prizes, some games, uh, yard games, things like that, some bounce houses for the kiddos. And so immediately following the service next Sunday, we'll be moving out back and uh, having fun together. So it'll be big. We do this, try to do this once a year around this time of year. So uh, uh, what I want to say about that is, is on the table out there, you may already have some of these, but there's invite cards that we use. Uh, and I find these things super handy. I get in conversations with people, and they're like, uh, where do you go to church? Yeah. In the South, it's kind of a funny thing. In the South, you ask two questions when you meet somebody, right? Where do you work, and where do you go to church? <laughs> it's just, it always comes out. And, and so as, as I have those conversations with people, I just pull one of these cards out. You know, if they don't have a church home, I'm not inviting people that have church homes. But if they don't have a church home, I, I hand them one of these and say, hey, why don't you come join us one Sunday? And so it's got information about the church on it. It's got ways to find out more information. So y'all grab some of those and use them. Uh, this week to invite four friends. This is our kind of our challenge is find four people that don't go to church anywhere uh, and, and try to bring them with you. Or if you have some family members you'd like to have come celebrate with you that day, that'd be fine too. Uh, grab them and, and bring them on out. Amen? Can y'all do that? Yeah? All right, good. It'll be fun. All right, I'm going to have to be extra lively today because you guys are not, but that's okay. I get it. I get it. It's a loss of sleep. So uh, we're in... Uh, week something of this story series, and uh, this week we're going to be walking through uh, Moses and the Exodus. How many of you have ever heard of the Exodus, right? You've seen the movie Charlton Heston, right, at least, right? So you've got some idea of what the Exodus is, and so um, it, the Exodus is a funny thing because Exodus is 40 chapters long, all right? It's, it's Exodus 1 through chapter 40, and there is it, it is packed full of easy sermons, right? I mean, like they're just laid out for you. It's a, it's a preacher's dream to walk through Exodus because there's so many. It's like, oh, that's a sermon. That's a sermon. That's a sermon. So, but we're going to spend one week on Exodus. So I have to back up to about 30,000 feet and, and take a look at Exodus that way and try to uh, glean some things from it. And so that's what we're going to do today. Uh, today will be our last day covering the covenants, though. I don't know if you've noticed that, but this has kind of been the theme. Uh, the very first week, we talked about Jesus on the road to Emmaus, talking to the disciples there, and how he's explaining really that the, the new covenant, right? What has now happened in Christ, but he's using the Old Testament to show those things. He's using the scriptures, what they had as their scriptures then, because the New Testament hadn't been written yet, uh, what they had then at, to explain those things. And then so since then, we looked at uh, Adam and Eve, right? The, this uh, promise from God to crush the head of the serpent. Amen. Uh, and then we looked at Noah and the covenant that God made to never again destroy the earth by flood. Uh, and so he's protecting for himself uh, humanity. Uh, and so he didn't rid the world of evil. He knew he wouldn't do that. Uh, but he keeps, his, he keeps this promise going that one day he's going to crush the head of the serpent. And then last week, uh, we had a break in there because I was sick, but last week we looked at uh, Abraham. And the Abrahamic covenant is what that's called. And that's, that's us, that's all of us eventually. And in this moment, it's, it's to the Jew only. It's to, uh, to Abraham's descendants, right? But eventually Christ opens this up 
to all, that, that all could come into this Abraham, this family of Abraham as sons and daughters of God because of Christ Jesus. So we see that covenant there today. Then what we'll see today is God begins to establish this new covenant of his law. All right, until today, there was no law. Man uh, was just, just kind of lived freely as they wanted to. And so before we get to all of that and kind of what that means for us today, um, we're, we're going to look at uh, kind of how we get here, right? Because there's a, there's a lot that happens between Abraham and the Exodus, right? There's a lot of people who were born. There's a lot of people uh, who do some really special things, and, and man, they would make great sermons. And so we just don't have time for that. This is, we'll come back to these things. So part of being your pastor is I hope for many, many, many years of fruitful ministry here, amen? So hopefully we'll get to preach through a lot of these things uh, as I continue to, to be here and serve with you guys. And so, uh, but let me just kind of tee this up for us. Uh, last week, we looked again at God's covenant with Abraham. Uh, God promises to use Abraham to make for himself a people, right? He makes this promise to, to uh, establish a people through Abraham. Uh, and so that promise continues through who? The birth of Isaac, right? And so Abraham tried to take things into his own hands with uh, um hooking up with Hagar and having Ishmael, but that doesn't work out. That's not God's plan. And so Isaac eventually comes, and and then in Genesis 26, what we see is that God establishes his covenant that he made with Abraham to Isaac. You can read about that in Genesis 26. We won't today because we don't have enough time. Then in Genesis 28, what we see is that God takes that same covenant, and once Isaac is older, he establishes it with Isaac's son, Jacob. Now, the interesting thing about Jacob, Jacob's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Jacob, at the time he receives the covenant, is not a believer. He always refers to God as the Lord of my father, Abraham, Isaac, and um, and, and then eventually what we hear is of Jacob, right? Because he eventually makes him Lord. And so shortly after, Jacob finally comes to belief in God, and he receives a new name. How many of you know what Jacob's new name is? few of you? Israel, right? I heard you guys say it, right? Jacob's new name becomes Israel. So uh, Jacob was a name that meant swindler, and Jacob did a lot of swindling. If you look at his life, he cheated his brother twice, uh, really cheated his dad in the same way doing those things. And so Jacob was just, he lived all for himself. He's a lot like you and I, right? Doing whatever he can to, to make sure his needs were met. Uh, and so after belief in God, uh, God appears to him or uh, and in Jacob wrestles with God one night, and he gets a new name in that. And so from that, he comes to believe in God, and he no longer refers to the God of my fathers. He says, my Lord. He refers to him as Yahweh, Lord. It's, it's personal now for him. So he gets a new name, Israel. The, the descendants of Israel multiplied greatly. They became honored as God's people by the Pharaoh and Egyptians for many years, largely due to Israel's sons, Joseph's, finding favor with Pharaoh through interpreting some dreams and such. Like I said, there's really good stuff in here. If you haven't read these, go read them. Uh, And so there's favor. The Israelites are able to live outside of Egypt with lots of favor. Uh, They're living in plenty. God is providing for all of their needs until one day... um, this, if, if you remember back in Genesis 15, God had made a promise to Abraham that his descendants would live in slavery for about 400 years. Do you remember us reading that last week? And, and so 
Uh, They're going to suffer captivity for a time. And what happens is there's a new Pharaoh that comes into power who is not, he doesn't remember the Israelites with in such a favorable way like previous Pharaohs had. And so what he does is this leads to him placing them under uh, his rule, under the Egyptians' rule, uh, and and forcing them to be their slaves. And and so they live in captivity for around 400 years, which leads us to the story of the Exodus. Now, a couple of things about Exodus that I think are really good for you to know today are this. Exodus offers the greatest redemption uh, event in the Bible before Christ's incarnation, all right, leading up to that. In the redem- um, sorry, because of this, it's extremely good news uh, to, to captives, uh, to those of us who labor in bondage to sin and misery. I mean, you know, we were all that before we were saved. Amen? Before we're saved, we're all slaves to sin. Amen? Amen. <laughs> all right? And so that's where we all reside before salvation. Now, as Christians... It shapes, the Exodus shapes or, uh, this continued understanding of and hope for redemption. It, it's going to help us see this picture more clearly, and this is really what I hope for us today. Uh, and so in the redemption, gained through the life, death, and resurrection, and ascension, and then the continued ministry of Jesus, we have a new Exodus. We have a fulfillment of what Exodus pictured for God's people. Now, all of that sounds really great, right? But what does it mean? What, what does it mean for us? And so as sinners, as those who are still in unbelief, it means this for you, that God has made a way through His Son, Christ, for you to be delivered. No longer a slave to sin, now saved by the grace of God. Amen? Amen. As saints, it means that God has prepared the way. So once we get saved, we talk about this, we kind of joke about it. This isn't the end of our lives, right? Salvation is not the end of uh, our lives. It's the end of the old man. It's the beginning of this new man. It's a new life. We have new opportunities, new things to do. And so uh, if salvation were the end all be all as it's so often proclaimed, right? Oftentimes it's just sold to people as fire insurance, right? If that were all it were, then God might as well kill us as soon as we're saved, right? Wouldn't that be far more merciful? Like, all right, he's a believer, he's dead. All right, come, come live with me forever. There, there's more to it than that. God's got a whole life, a brand new way of living that he wants you to learn, and he wants you to help others learn. Again, that's another sermon for another day. We're not going to dive into that, but just know that you are now invited into, and God is directing you on a journey to a brand new home, the promised land, right? We're, we're headed to the promised land, what we know as heaven. And so right now we're in the wilderness. Oftentimes we're grumbling. Amen. Who's a grumbler? Go ahead, raise your hand. Just let everybody know. All right. Yeah. Y'all, y'all give them a hug before they leave today. All right. <clears throat> he, we're in the wilderness. We're often grumbling. We're often stumbling. Amen. Falling flat on our face, trying to get back up. But what we're all doing as believers and and what God is doing in us is that He's moving us towards our new home, one day glorified in heaven with Him. Amen? And I know I say this every Sunday. I think it's worth repeating every Sunday that that this place is not the end-all, be-all. This is getting us to the end-all, be-all. And so 
Along those lines of complaining, what we'll see and what we'll, we'll, we'll understand, and you're going to dive further into it in your home groups this week, so I encourage you to jump into that. But what we'll see is that the Israelites were grumblers. They're complainers, right? They're often uh, angry about their new status as uh, sojourners, right? They kind of liked being slaves. And so uh, it got me to thinking about complaining. As a kid growing up, I was a complainer, right? I was that kid that my sisters were always telling me to be quiet. Like, that's, that's enough, right? And so uh, my parents were much the same way. I was just that way. And so God, having the sense of humor that he does, he saw fit to bless me with uh, a complainer. And so, uh, and maybe it's just the nature of all four-year-olds. That's probably more true. Uh, but so one day we go out to Logoli, Patricia and I, we load up the kids. We're like, it's off day. Let's go have fun. It's pretty. Uh, you know, it was one of those springs that we've had in the last couple of months before it became winter again. And, and so we took advantage of one of those spring days that we got. And uh, we head out to Logoli. And of course, when you pull up to Logoli, my favorite thing about Logoli is the trail, right? I want to go walk the trail. That's my favorite thing to do. I just want to walk around in the woods. That's peaceful to me most of the time. Uh, but it's, it's really enjoyable. So I'd pack like some snacks. I've got my, my little bug out bag, you know, and I'm like, man, I'm ready. Like, it's a, it's a one and a half mile trail, but if we get lost, we're, we're good to go, right? We're going to be protected for days. And so uh, we're hiking, uh, or as we pull up, what do you see first? The playground, right? Uh, and so the rule is, in, in my house, is we do not play until we go on the trail, right? We got to do the trail first. And, and so Wells is not happy about this, and I don't blame him. I don't, I mean, at four, I'm not going to want to walk a trail either, but I'm going to make him walk a trail. And so we get out there, and we're on the trail, and, and it begins to rain on us. Uh, there, there were times of sunshine and times of rain. There were times where I didn't have the right snack. There were times where I did have the right snack. And, and so we're, we're walking around this trail. There's times where the ground is just, you know, it's just too bumpy, Dad. I'm like, it, you know, he's just complaining about everything. It's like this is, it, he's not enjoying it at all, and yet I'm still trying to have fun, right? And so uh, we, we finally finish, and then we get to go play, right? He, he made it through. We get to go play. And so I think this is kind of a picture of what the Israelites must have been going through. God has a promised land for them. He's got a place he wants to take them to. But first, he knows that they need to walk through the wilderness, right? They're not going to experience or enjoy the experience of the promised land until they go through all the others. Also, I don't think they would have fully trusted God. Like if God takes them immediately from Egypt into the promised land, they're not going to learn along that path to trust God. They're not going to grow in their belief in God. They're not going to experience all the miraculous things that they experience. And so God does this in his providential plan, in his good will towards them. He leads them through the desert. Amen? And so you and I are here now. We're a part of this new exodus. And so let me kind of explain this by going back to exodus and walking through this together. And I'll try to be short with the remaining time here. Exodus opens with God hearing the Israelites groaning, uh, and then he kind of remembers his covenant with Abraham. So this is before he calls Moses, what we see in Exodus 2, uh, 23, uh, 2, 23 through 25 here. It says, During those many days the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered His covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. All right, so what we see here from God knew, what we see here from God hearing these things is that now God is going to act. 
Amen? And so what we see happens is that uh, it says explicitly that God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, with Jacob. And so God acts now to save Israel because of this covenant that he had made. Now often, we like the Israelites are going to become impatient for God to remember his promises, to make the world new, but God is not slow in keeping his promises. One commentator said this, he says, he is the faithful covenant-making, covenant-keeping God. Amen? And so First Peter addresses this too, that God is not slow to remember his promise to return again but that He's patient with us, hoping that all would come to know Him. Amen? And so we see that this is kind of where we're at now. We're in this time of waiting. Then in chapters 3 through 4, we see God coming down to redeem His people through His chosen mediator. How many of you know His name? Moses, right? All right, good. So Exodus 3, uh, 1 through 15, I think it's just totally worth reading to you guys. So let me read this. Now Moses was keeping the flock of, the fa- of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, what the, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the Lord of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are here in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the otherites. And now, behold, the cry of the Lord of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. And Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. And so what we see here is that God is choosing Moses to deliver his people. So from there through chapter 4, we see both the inadequacy of Moses. He's going to continue to question God. He's like, I've got this speech problem. I need some help. I don't think they're going to listen to me, right? I mean, God appeared to him in a burning bush, calling out his name, saying, I am going to deliver my people because of the covenant I made with. So Moses is going to be aware of all that happened through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Amen. These are things that would have been told to him. Like he's going to know these things. 
And so he knows that the God he's speaking to is God. He, he knows that he is who he says he is, yet he fails to trust him. He sees only his own inadequacies, and he's not trusting that God is fully adequate to do exactly what he says he's going to do. And so in response to every question or objection from Moses, God patiently shows his presence, his limitless sufficiency, and his power will be with Moses in this. And that's really the point of the whole thing, right? Is that God is the true deliverer of his people, not Moses, right? God is the true deliverer of his people in and through Moses. And so Moses' call was to trust the Lord, to be obedient in his faith, believing that God's power would be displayed in his weaknesses. And so we see this in God's response to Moses' questions, where he reminds him, uh, again, who's sending me? Uh, it's I am who I am. And then he goes on to say, I am has sent me to you. Tell them that. And then he goes on to say, tell them this also, the Lord who is I am, the God of your fathers. So he's reminding him, I am God. I am sending you. If I am sending you, I will do exactly what I've said I'm going to do. Amen? I've prepared this place for my people. And so in other words, the living personal God who had covenanted with Abraham is now moving to deliver his people. It's an incredible thing that's taken place here early on in Exodus. Now, a quick side note on this that I think is amazing and just shows who Jesus is. If you go to, you don't have to, but if you look in John chapter 8, what you'll see is that Jesus is asked about who he is by the Pharisees. It's a question about who he, who he is, and, and, and he responds this way. He says, before Abraham was, I am. So there he's clearly identifying himself as the same living personal God who made covenant with Abraham, the same God who revealed himself to Moses here, and the one who at that time was moving to deliver his people once and for all. Amen? It's a beautiful, beautiful picture there of what we see. So through Moses, God goes forward to redeem his people out of what, what chapter 20 calls the land of Egypt and the house of slavery. In, in doing so, what we see is God's kindness, but we also see God's severity. We, we see both on full display here. Now, let, let me explain. We see his salvation. We see his judgment. We see the judgment and severity of God towards the gods of Egypt, and especially their boy Pharaoh, right? Through what, what happens is uh, 10 plagues take place, and so there's blood that happens in the Nile, right? God causes blood to take over the Nile. Uh, there's, it begins to be infested with frogs, all of Egypt does. If that's not wonderful enough, uh, gnats then begin to take over. And if you don't like that, then there were flies that began to take over, and if that wasn't enough, all the Egyptian livestock begins to die. <laughs> and, then, and then God keeps going because Pharaoh keeps hardening his heart towards God. Uh, what we see is boils begin to fall on the people. There's a hell storm in the middle of the desert, which is awesome, right? Uh, and then there's locusts, and then there's darkness that covers the whole land. All the while this has taken place, God's people, the Israelites, are perfectly protected, not experiencing any of this. Seeing it, no doubt, but not having to walk through it. 
And then what we see is that in a final act of Pharaoh just wanting to be God, he stands against God in this final act, and, and God, through Moses, tells him that if you will not let my people go, the firstborn of all of the Egyptians will die. Pharaoh says, not going to do it. All right? He's not going to harden, or he's not going to let him go. He's not going to soften his heart to God. And so what takes place is the salvation and kindness towards the Israelites in this. During the death of the firstborn of Egypt, through the, through the substitutionary death of spotless lambs for Israel, God's judgment, His wrath, passes over the Israelites. And so what they were instructed to do to avoid uh, this happening to their firstborn was to slaughter a spotless lamb and to place the blood of the lamb over the doorpost. And that when God comes in, or when this angel of death comes in, when this takes place, it's going to pass over their homes and go to, it's going to visit only the Egyptian homes. How many of you know that there's a spotless blood, uh, spotless lamb who shed his blood so that God's wrath could pass over us? Amen. And so in this, God is showing. He's just, <laughs> like, he's just showing all his cards now. He's like, this is not only my first plan, but this is the ultimate plan. Like, like this will be what eventually happens. There will be a spotless lamb through the Son of God who will come and, and deliver people, deliver my people from their sins. Amen. Again, just beautiful stuff taking place here. Let's keep going. So the Israelites then, out of this, Pharaoh is devastated. The Egyptians are devastated. Most of them have grown angry with Pharaoh that he didn't let God's people go even sooner because they're experiencing God's Wrath, And so uh, what happens is Pharaoh lets them go. Uh, God permitted the Israelites to not only leave, but to plunder the Egyptians. So they're, they're gathering things up, and the Egyptians have to give whatever they need for their journey. And so they, they leave out of there. And as they're leaving out, Pharaoh's heart hardens. It's like, I'm not, I'm not okay with this. I'm not okay with them leaving. And so he, he decides that he'll pursue them. And so when he pursues them... Uh, they come to, the Israelites come to the Red Sea. Amen? Heard this, right? And as they're standing before the Red Sea, the Israelites begin to grumble again already, like, where are we to go? Right? How are we going to get out of this? And so Moses is instructed by God to do what? To part the Red Sea. So the Israelites cross on dry ground. I can only imagine how magnificent and miraculous that event would have been. Amen? That thousands of people are allowed to cross this Red Sea on dry ground. Just imagine it, right? As they look back, what they see is Pharaoh and his army pursuing them. And so what happens is, is Pharaoh and his army, after uh, the Israelites have crossed through, Pharaoh and his army enter into this open sea, right? As they're all in it, God causes it to crash back down through Moses on them, eliminating their pursuit and their lives. So again, as God's Wrath. That was the final showdown between God as the true king of the world and Pharaoh as the wannabe king of the world. And Pharaoh lost. So what we see in Mo from Moses in chapter 15 is that he sings a song. It's a beautiful song, but this line from it is this, the Lord will reign forever and ever. And I think that's important for us to know today. And so 
having redeemed his people, God then guides them through the wilderness. He brings them not to the promised land yet, but to Mount Sinai where he begins to instruct them in his ways. That is always the order of the Bible, right? And this is what one commentator said. He said it's redemption, then response. It's grace, then law. And so what happens is the Mosaic Covenant is established. Now, the Mosaic Covenant is often remembered as the Ten Commandments, but as you'll see, it goes from like chapter 19 to chapter 40. There's a lot of commandments issued here. There's a lot of things that God's people were expected to uh, live by. And so when he establishes these things, Moses brings these to the Israelites and asks if they're willing to do this, right? And they're all like, "Uh uh-huh, yeah, yeah, of course. We will do whatever the Lord commands us to do. Were they able to do it? No. No, they weren't. Was that a failed attempt by God to save His people? No, absolutely not. God knew that they would never fulfill the law, but God knew they needed the law to understand their need for a Savior. They needed the law to see how awful their hearts were, how messed up their hearts were. And then it was going to point them to, one day, Jesus. And so God's law was not meant to save people from their sins. It simply meant to, uh, it served uh, to point beyond that to the one who would come to fulfill all of the law and all of the foreshadowing of the tabernacle and the requirements of the law that you read in Gen- or Exodus 19 through 40. So I think as we sit here, we can look around and look at each other and say, He's not an Israelite. I'm not an Israelite. He's not Moses. I'm not Moses, right? So what we understand is that we're not these guys. So what does this story mean for us? I think I've pointed out a few things to you today. But what it does mean, as I mentioned earlier, is that we're part of a new exodus. We are God's people journeying to a brand new world, a promised land, eternal life in heaven. And so how does this journey take place? I think we want to talk about that. So I've got two things to tell you about this new exodus, and then I'll let you go. Number one, God delivers us through His Son. In the exodus that takes place in Exodus, God delivers through Moses. Moses is the mediator. In the new exodus, under this new covenant, God delivers us through His Son. 1 Timothy 2, verses 5 through first part of 6 say this, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, I love that, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. Amen? And so the Old Testament redemption in Exodus helps us to see that the ultimate redemption of God was going to come through Jesus. So in Jesus, God acts because he remembers his covenant with Abraham and his earliest promises with Adam and Eve and Noah. And then again, Abraham, he acts through Christ to fulfill these things. And then he's going to use Jesus to crush the serpent. He's going to use Jesus to further establish for himself a people known today not as Israel, but the church. Amen? And so... Galatians 3, 13 through 14 says this, as Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree 
so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. That's me and you, all right? So that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Now, there's a couple. Of, there's one thing happening at the end there that we'll talk about here in a second. But what happened, again, was that in Christ, we're no longer condemned by the law. Amen? The, the law now points us to something else. So in Jesus, God himself comes down to deliver his people. Jesus is the Lamb of God whose blood serves as the redemption prize to deliver his, pe- his people from God's wrath and the enemy's captivity. All right? No longer a slave to sin, no longer under God's wrath as the Egyptians were, uh, but now we are free to serve Christ because our faith is in Christ. So those who trust in Jesus are delivered then from death itself and given a new life in Christ through His power. Jesus has thrown the evil one into the sea, if you will, of God's wrath. And so now we're on a journey. So that's, that's just kind of real quick there what's happening in this new exodus is that Jesus, God is delivering us through His Son, Jesus. All right, if you place your faith in Jesus, you're delivered. You're now on the journey. If you have not placed your faith in Jesus, then you are still under God's wrath. And I urge you to place your faith in Christ today, to repent of your sin and believe in Christ as your Lord. The second thing that we see now, and this is really, again, for believers, is that God directs us through His Spirit. He's delivering us through His Son, but God directs us through His Spirit. John 14 confirms this where Jesus says, And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another Helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him or knows Him. You know Him, for He dwells with you, and He will be in you. So as believers, what we see in Ephesians 1, and I mention this regularly, is that you receive the promised Holy Spirit upon belief. That promised Holy Spirit saves you and seals you. Amen? This is God's way of completing that work which He begins in you. He's doing it through the promised Holy Spirit. And so when I say God directs us through His Spirit, I'm saying that God is leading us by His Spirit in the same way that He used a cloud and a fire to lead the Israelites. He's leading us through the wilderness that one day will reside in the promised land. So as God's redeemed people, we live our lives in the wilderness. Welcome to the wilderness. As we make our way to the promised land, we're looking for this permanent city built by God. I love what it says in Hebrews 11 about the heroes of the faith there. It says this, it says, uh, it said, I think we need to know like they did that they are strangers and exiles on the earth, that this place is not our home. It's home for a little while. It's not our permanent place. And so that we desire a heavenly homeland. As we go through this world, God's word and spirit direct us as God's people. We know God's presence. We know his protection. We know his provision as we go. Now, I've always been drawn to the story, particularly the Israelites in the story, because they remind me of me. (laughs) I am them and they are me. Many times I've seen God's hand. I think you guys can probably attest to this. 
I've seen God's hand on my life through His presence, through His protection, through His provision, especially in the wilderness, yet I tend to grumble and I tend to complain about my situation often. And so God's response has always been manna. Not physical manna, but grace towards me in all situations. When God's people got hungry and began to complain, He provided bread for them. So then He instructed them when He provides this bread, you'll read about this for your home groups, He instructs them to gather each morning their portion for the day. Now, when they gathered, the interesting thing about this is that no one gathered more than or less than they needed, even if they took more than or less than someone else. I think this is a beautiful image of God's grace for us. That it's always the exact amount that you need each day. God's grace is enough to save you. It's enough to sanctify you. And it's enough to bring you into glorification. It's God's grace that does this. He delivers by the Son, and He directs us by His Spirit, all in His grace towards you. So while we're in the wilderness and we're journeying towards our heavenly home, God directs us by His grace. What I mean by this is that in your weaknesses, God sustains you by His grace. His power, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, is made perfect in your weaknesses. So what Paul does is, I boast all the more, not in my strength, but in my weaknesses. Because in those is when God shows His power in me. So just like the Israelites were unable to keep the law, therefore God's law condemns us. However, faith in Christ, we are set free from the condemnation of the law. As Romans 8 says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So that the law now becomes God's direction for your holiness. So a lot of people like to think that now that I'm saved, I don't have to live according to the law. It's not that the law has been abolished, it's that it's been fulfilled. It's fulfilled in Christ. And so as as a saved person, you're now looked on as holy. Even though you're not holy, you look down the spotless even though you're not without spot. And so the law now serves as a guide towards holiness. 1 Corinthians 6 says this, and says, Such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So God's law isn't about behavior modification, it's heart transformation. It's leading us into heart transformation. It allows us to see where we fall short. It allows us to see where we need to throw ourselves at the foot of the throne of mercy and grace. And God does this. He does the work through His Son, through His Spirit. We just simply place our faith in Him and we trust Him to do it. So Moses and the Exodus offer an example for God's redemption for us in Christ Jesus. Alan, you can go ahead and come forward. We're drawn into the drama of God's working, and that helps us to see and delight in the work of Jesus. And so I think that seeing that God delivers us and directs us, I think that that should drive us to love even more the God of our salvation even more the God of the Exodus, even more the God of Abraham, 
Isaac, and Jacob. Amen. You stand to your feet this morning.